Hello, my name is Scott Bradley, and this is the Scott Scotter Podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Chris Toner. We discuss the sacking of Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and the appointment of Michael Beale as a new Rangers manager, the areas of the squad that Beale want to improve on in January, and could Celtic's best striker, Jack Amakis, leave the club? All this and so much more. Enjoy the show. Well, Chris, my man, how are we, mate? Yeah, okay. Um, that is so so itself from being not well the last few weeks, but um, I'm good enough to record tonight. Well, that's good, mate. That's good. Uh, the last time you and I done a podcast together, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was the Rangers manager. Uh, he's now been sacked, and Michael Beale is the new Rangers manager. Um, we've got a lot to discuss, and you've got plen- plenty to ask me, so let's dive right into it. Yeah, I think, I can't remember if we covered this, like, if you were Gio had to go or not by the time we last recorded, but um, if we haven't already covered it, um, when was the turning point from, because you were a bit of a staunch defender of Gio to some extent, given the success of last season, but what was the turning point where it was he had to go? Well, obviously, as as you said, Chris, I was a strong defender of Gio for a long time, and I felt as though... Uh, he deserved a bit more time purely because of the Europa League run last year. But for me, when I just lost all faith in Gio, it was the game against St. Johnston where we lost 2-1. And at that moment, I was like, right, there's no way back for Gio. For Gio, sadly, it's, he's lost his dressing room. The players are not playing for him. These results are not good enough. And then like a few days later, we played Harps in the league. And we beat Hearts 1-0. We did not play well whatsoever, but got the job done against the, the third best side in the league. And then, obviously, right before the World Cup, we were playing against St Mirren, and it was just a shocking display, and we dropped points there. Um, and it was it was god-awful. It was jambolic. And at that moment, I was like, there's no way back from now. Like, there was no way back from uh, Nine points behind in November, it's just, it was just simply unacceptable. So going into the, the the break for the World Cup, I was thinking the way it was going. I think it was like a week, um, and like a week, a week in um, the season stopping, a decision had not been made. So my thinking was right. They're not going to sack him now. If they're going to sack him, they would have done it right after the St. Mirren game, and then it uh, like a week later, going into the Monday. Um, I get a text off one of my pals saying uh, unconfirmed uh, reports that Gio's been sacked now. I was like, nah, surely not. So then I go on Twitter, see the fan media's reporting it. All credible outlets are reporting on it. So, okay, it looks like Gio's gone now. So the board sacked him. Um, And to be honest, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, d- I didn't take any satisfaction in it. Um, I wasn't happy. I wasn't buzzing, but it was a decision that had to be made because the results are simply not good enough. Or uh, and also, my main gripe with you was not Europe. Europe was bad this season. It was embarrassing, right? My main gripe was how bad Rangers have been domestically. There is zero excuse to be nine points behind in the league in November. Uh, and uh, yes, I know Gio had he was very unlucky with injuries. Rangers had ten players out. Um, the board hung him out to dry in Europe. Um, by not backing him enough uh, in the transfer market, signing as well. He wasn't really backed well in that department. Um, the only signing that's worked out so far has been Cholak. But yeah, it was the right decision. 
Uh, and the results domestically were just simply not good enough whatsoever. And it was a right call. <clears throat> yeah, thanks. Um, so you touched on like Europe not being enough. Um, we've spoke about that a great deal. That in the domestic sense, is Geo solely responsible for that? Or should Ross Wilson harbour somebody blame with some getting a fair growling at the Rangers AGM this past week? Was that justified? Yeah, 100%. Um, see, Ross Wilson, his record at Rangers is terrible. It really is. Um, I've seen at the AGM as well, he said that he doesn't make the final say on transfers. So what is he doing there? Like, what's his actual role then? Like, I thought sporting directors have a major influence on that. Um, so... That I found that quite baffling. Um, so it's almost like he's at Ross Wilson is like a over overpriced scout. No, he's oh, sorry, overpaid scout. That's what it, that's what it's uh, that's what it seems like, you know. But from the domestic point of view, um, obviously Ross Wilson could not cover himself in glory in terms of his track record when it comes to transfers or whatever his role is after he said he doesn't have the final say. So I don't know why. He's got such a high position at the club, um, but uh, then the day the manager needs to take the blame for the, for the domestic form because even though Rangers, as I said, had a lot of players out, there's there's zero excuse to be nine points behind um, in November, and there was zero excuse to to have dropped seven points to with the greatest respect to Livingston, St Mirren, and St Johnston, like Rangers, that that squad out there. That, that, that squad out there should be beating those teams. There's no no excuses, no doubt about it. Those that, that, that those group of players should be beating uh, the likes of those teams. Um, but yeah, Ross Wilson, um, he got grilled at the AGM, um, rightly so. And the, the AGM, it was, I thought, like I seen some of the questions where you get like certain shareholders that had this arms at Celtic as well, where they ask the most like ridiculous questions. Um, where you obviously you you've seen it as well at Celtic AGM where Celtic fans bring up um or can you acknowledge that Rangers are a new club and then at the Rangers one they're asking questions about why when I, why is it when I go to Hamden why can I not sit beside my pal <laughs> it's like they, they, they see the AGM like the, the, the like the board the board of directors the board would have been sitting there like oh this is easy I think they were probably expecting to go in there and get absolutely slaughtered um. But obviously, them sacking Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, I think that kind of is not exactly made everything rosy in the garden by bringing Michael Beale in. But it's took a wee bit of the pressure off them. You could see going into that AGM if Giovanni Van Bronckhorst was still the manager, it would have been pretty toxic. Yeah, definitely. So I think it was a spell of a week, week and a half or so before we actually had the new Rangers manager in place. Um, there was a Few names linked. There was like a thoughts of Stephen Gerrard coming up again. There was um, Sean Dyche was also linked. So, um, who did you want personally, and then um, what could someone else linked with the job could have brought to the club? <clears throat> well, I wanted uh, Sean Dyche. Um, as you know, Chris, I really wanted him. He was my my first choice, um, purely because of the job he done down at uh, Burnley. Done a fantastic job where he was working under a minuscule budget was able to keep them in the Premier League for as long as he did. He, they only got relegated once. Then the next season, they, they came right back up. They won the championship at a canter. Well, not at a canter, but they won it quite comfortably, I think. Um, and it just shows you how good a manager Sean Dyche is if he's able to get Joey Barton Championship Player of the Year. <laughs> you know, 
Um, but yeah, I think Sean Dyche would have been the perfect appointment uh, for Rangers. And sadly, we didn't get him. But my my second choice was Michael Beal. Um, and I'm happy we got Michael Beal. It's not exactly like a box office one. It's not exactly like a like a Steven Gerrard or a even a Sean Dyche. Uh, if you know what I'm saying, but Michael Beal is, uh, I think, it's an interesting appointment. Michael Beal also played an instrumental part in Rangers winning 55. He played an instrumental part in Rangers getting back to where they should be, competing for league titles, winning league titles, competing against Celtic, beating Celtic. Um, and like I feel as though he was the brains behind the style of play when he was at Rangers. Um, and he knows this squad inside out. He's got a great football in mind and he will get the best out of the squad um, the squad absolutely adore him um, so I think it is the right appointment for just now um, me personally I would have liked to have just gave him a 12 month rolling contract instead of a three and a half year deal um, but I can understand some people's concerns in terms of like he's never been a manager before but I can counter that by saying it will also manage QPR but he's not got a lot of experience right of course but at QPR, I can counter it by saying obviously QPRs they've not got a, a large transfer budget, and he was he was doing okay there. He he's I think they were sitting right outside the playoffs. Um, the fans loved him. They loved his style of play, and he was he was doing okay there. He was doing absolutely fine, and obviously his reputation down south is high. Where uh, the, the likes of a Premier League club like Premier League club like Wolves came in for him, he said no. So. Obviously, he's well thought of down in England. The Rangers fans like him, and yeah, I think it is. I think it's a good appointment, but uh, but he needs to get, he needs to hit the ground running. He, he really does, and um, because Rangers cannot afford to drop any points whatsoever, um, because the the title race is hanging on, like by, like like that much. It's like Rangers, uh, if Rangers can't drop any points. If Rangers drop, even if Rangers draw against Hibs next week, I think it's done. So it's. Rangers are just hanging on by uh, a thread. Yeah, so um, obviously you've touched on <clears throat> Beal's prior relationship with the club, being assistant manager under Steven Gerrard. How advantageous is it that a lot of the core of the squad is from the Gerrard era and how can Beal get the best out of them? Well, first of all, as I said, he knows the players inside out and... The players know what to expect with Michael Beal. They know, okay, right, this is the way he's going to play. He's going to play high tempo possession football, and it's going to he's going to push the fullbacks forward, and it's going to be enjoyable to watch. That's what Beal said. He wants to win games, but he wants to win them in style. See, to be honest, I don't care how bad the football is as long as we start winning. Um, I see if we play Barcelona s football and we don't win games, I'll be raging. I just want to win games. That's it. Simple as. Um, but obviously, going forward, though, I think we need to move on from the Gerard era in terms of like some of these players that are in the squad right now. Um, like for example, it looks like Ryan Kent could potentially be off. Like Ryan Kent and Marielos were discussed at the AGM, and I think it was Douglas Park that said that he, he may have been offered good deals, but if they like some sometimes the Rangers can't over offer too much or like where they can't they need to work within our means, you know, we can't just offer them silly contracts. Then let's I'll be honest as well, like Ryan Kent and Marielle don't deserve like big, big contracts because their performances 
don't merit it whatsoever. Um, and there are there are uh, strong rumours that Kent and Morelos could be off in January. Me personally, I would I, if we I would probably get rid of them in January as long as we have some some replacements in line, you know. Um, I, I do expect in January we're going to see some transfer business, and I think that would have been one of the things Bill would have agreed with Ross Wilson and the Rangers board that it's important, it's pivotal that he gets back in January because our squad depth is just so small. And yet you've seen that where we had to throw young Leon King into deep end in the Champions League where he's only 18 years old. That's when he should be maybe out in loan, getting games here and there, not playing week in, week out, where he's barely experienced. He's got huge potential. He does, and I think he's going to be a great defender one day. But he's you can see the mistakes that he's making right now. He's he's not ready for first-team football. Uh, and and obviously touching on the, the some of the signings from the summer where like John we signed John Suter, he's got a track record of being highly injury prone. Signed him on a free. He's only played, I think, sixty minutes of football for us, I think. Um it, it was just it's baffling. And we signed uh, Matundo as well. Uh, we signed him for I think three point one million pounds. He's not hit the ground running. We signed uh, Yelmas for five million pounds. Um, he's barely featured. Uh, I think he's played like seven games. Um, and Bona Barisic has been playing week in week out, and Barisic has been playing well. So that five million pounds could have been spent elsewhere. So I, I think our I think our summer window has been a disaster. If I had to compare it to something, with the exception of Trollat, obviously, if I had to compare it to something. I don't even think it's OTT saying this. I'd probably say it's probably on par with Celtic from the 2020-2021 season. Like that, just I know it's still, I know we're in December, right? But if, if Michael Beale can't get the best out of these players or like get backed in January, <laughs> that's what people are going to look back at that summer window on. Like they'll compare it to Celtic from 2020 in 2021. Yeah, and I'm saying what a signing window tweet, whatever it was, but um what what kind of players' positions do Rangers need to be in the market for in January to help Michael Beale make something of a success of this season? Um, well, obviously defender first and foremost, I think. Um, defender, we need, uh, we need, need to get another centre-half in. Um, I'd like to see another right-back come in as well. Could you seen uh, right before the World Cup, James Tavernier was absolutely struggling. He was struggling so bad. Like he, he, It was clear as day he was hurt. He, he, he was playing through an injury. Um, I think we need another midfielder as well. I think you can see our midfield it's aging. You got the likes of Scotty Arfield, Stephen Davis in there. Well, great, great, great players. Um, they were great players for us. They were very loyal to the cause. I love them, but we we need to move on. We need to get fresh blood in that midfield. Um, so midfielders, one hundred and ten percent. We we need to get a right winger in. I think uh, right wing, left wing. That they're areas that we're, we're lacking in too. It, like massively, um, because it looks like as I was saying, Ryan Kent could be out the door in January. Um, I and obviously I touched on Matundo. He's been a, he's been really disappointing so far. Goalkeeping wise, January's going January's going to be very hard to get a goalkeeper in. We all know how hard it is nowadays to find a goalkeeper, but I think that's an area that we need to be looking at because when you look what happened in the the summer, um, in the Scottish Cup final, McGregor got McGregor got brought on. For for the last two minutes extra time as a send off, he thought he was done, and then two weeks later we offered him a new deal, and he was meant to be number two for this season. He was meant to be number two. Then John McLaughlin was just shambolic. He lost his place after the 
disaster against Celtic than in the disaster against Ajax. I wouldn't blame the Ajax one on him too much, but uh, the the performance against Celtic, I was like, I don't want to ever see him in a Rangers jersey again because it was just pitiful. So January, of course, January, we need to look at goalkeepers. I think pretty much every single area, every area pretty much, um, even even up front, even though Cholak's been absolutely flying, if Morelos goes, we need to look at that position as well. So that, that January's going to be so, so busy. Um, and I think we will see some players go. We will see some players go, see some players, players come in. Uh, I've seen today that we're linked with Ryan Porteous. That's a lot of rubbish. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that, Chris. Um, we're linked with Ryan Porteous. It would be on, actually. This is what the all these fan media websites and whatnot right, like, reporting on, where it's just total clickbait. It, I think it was like Jim Duffy was on Super Scoreboard and he said something. that He's heard that Ryan Porteous is going to go to Ibrox. Utter nonsense. Ryan Porteous will not be at Ibrox. Um not because I'm a, I'm not saying that because oh I'm not a fan of his character because I'm not a fan of his character, um I'm not a fan of Ryan Portis's character whatsoever. But him as a player, I don't think he's good enough. I think he's a bang average SPFL defender. That that's it. Like even like even if like he was just even if he wasn't the way he was as a person, um just looking at him, just judging him on ability wise, he's not good enough for good enough for Rangers or Celtic. Like whatsoever, like I don't know where he's going to go after this, um, because he's not set a new deal at Hibs, so he might go, he might go down south. I think Hibs level might be probably very low end championship. That's his level, um, but yeah, pretty much every area needs to be looked at, Chris, in January, and I, I imagine Michael Beale's going to have like a, a like plenty of ideas because he knows this squad, like it's just pretty much a mess right now. Yeah, we've seen larger turnarounds before, but um, obviously you're probably thinking league. You've probably got to start thinking about forget about the league for this year and build on it for next season. But um, come when it's all said and done, it come May time, um, turn out whatever kind of turnaround you get. What what would you define as a success this season under Michael Beale? Eh uh, well. Well, obviously last year, domestically, it wasn't too great. We won in Scottish Cup for the first time in over a decade. Um, in the Europa League run, we covered up a lot of our failures domestically. Um, but for Beal this year, uh, I'm not giving up in the, the league as of yet, right? Because, uh, you see, Perez, we have Rangers win all their games going up to the old firm and then also beat Celtic. And just as Celtic win all their games and then Rangers beat Celtic at Ibrox, that's six points. So if it's six points, the title race is back on. But if Rangers drop points in that period, um, obviously I'll admit the league's done. But what would define success for this season if we drop points uh, in the lead up to the old firm? And if Rangers don't win the league, I would say win both cups, win the league cup and win the Scottish Cup. I would say, okay, that's like, if, if we're not going to win the league, that's a bare minimum. Um, win, win the two cups. And then just build on to next season, um. But it's I I, I never really I never would have thought it would be this bad. Like in November, no, like no way did anyone think this. Like, but after Rangers qualified for the Champions League, that going into the World Cup break, Rangers would be nine points behind Celtic. Um. But yeah, that would that's what I would say is would be the bare minimum bare minimum of success for Rangers this season is win the League Cup and win the Scottish Cup. Um, if the league is not going to be 
there, but I'm not giving up in the league as of yet because I still feel like if Rangers beat uh, Celtic Ibrox and win all the games up to that, you've still got two old firm games to go. Celtic can drop points where you've seen Celtic drop points to St Mirren where that was a, a shot for everybody. Um, so that was the first time Celtic lost in the league in I think nearly a year. Um, so yeah, a, a lot can happen. Yeah, just yeah, like a lot can happen up to that point, but. Um, and going up, just obviously speaking about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, though, like I think he's a real class act of a guy. Um, I thought some of the do you know one thing that really did baffle me, Chris, is like some the way some Rangers fans were speaking about him, like almost giving him abuse. And you're like, are you that entitled and spoiled where you're not, you're not that even grateful? for what he done, where he took this club to a Europa League final, gave us Rangers fans memories that will last a lifetime, you know, and it like I found it disgusting, <clears throat> some of the abuse he was getting, and when he did get the sack, when I was seen on social media, some of the people like, yes, and saying not nice things, and, and you've seen them kind of change their tune, and they're like, yeah, I'll always be grateful for that, and you're like, yeah, you were literally giving him abuse like a couple of weeks ago, like, yes, he had to go, like, because domestically it was Terrible, but like, look what he done for us, you know. And it, it really was sad to see when I, like, when I seen the, the Instagram post that he put up, where he was just like he said, like, oh yeah, I'm so grateful for the opportunity, great memories from last year. Um, once a ranger, always a ranger. And he went, he says one thing I, I found very interesting in the Instagram post, where he said that. He was like I he was working under very difficult circumstances. And I was like, oh, that is very telling. That is very telling. So I wonder what he was alluding to there. I feel as though that's got to be maybe a relationship with Ross Wilson uh, and the Rangers board. And um, because he did Gio did hint after we qualified for the Champions League, he would be nice to get a couple of players in. Um so I feel as though that was a clear dig. Aimed at the board. What about you? Uh, yeah, one time I wanted to ask, like, you were talking about the fan reaction on social media and that. Um, Player-wise, it was only Hadji, I believe, put a goodbye or thank you tweet out. But did you make uh, the player reaction? Does that suggest something was going on in the dressing room? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I found that interesting because obviously when you see a manager leave, you get... So you see some of the players put up like, oh, thank you very much, Gaffer, all the best. Absolute honour it was. Like when Gerard left to, for Villa, all, pretty much the whole squad put something up. Pretty much the whole squad put something up saying gutted memories, love you, Gerard, and that. Where it would see for Gio, though, as you said, Hadji was the only player that put something up. So that just tells me <clears throat> that Gio lost the dressing room. The players weren't playing for him whatsoever. Um. And I find that quite sad, though, because, like, and yeah, of course it might not have ended great with, like, the Rangers players in Geo. Like, maybe the relationship was frosty, fell out with a lot of players. But these players were, like, they, they, were, they took part in a Europa League final. They played a, like, they, they experienced memories with Geo that will last a lifetime, you know. And it's it was sad to see, considering everything that Geo done for us, you know. Um but yeah, that that's like cause usually you would see. I thought Tav would put something up, didn't put anything up, and yeah, that was that, that. I think that was clear as day that the players weren't playing for him. You've seen that in the pitch where I think I remember against the Johnston where 
Lundstrom lost the ball, just threw his arms up in the air, didn't even chase after it. Then St. Johnson went and scored. So, yeah, the, the work ethic wasn't there compared to last year. And I feel as though uh, the reason... I think I, 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 one thing... I think one thing I think actually happened was why the, the relationship was kind of frosty was because see the Champions League campaign getting a hammering after hammering after hammering and I feel like Gio wasn't I don't know I wasn't there right I'm just going by what I got told Gio wasn't really all that bothered by it so the squad's morale was probably really downbeat and I heard actually training was not good uh, the, like the players were unhappy with the workload and training and it wasn't like up to standard, um, and you can tell the the football was like you can tell the players hated that style of play. They, I don't think they knew what the style of play was. It was brutal to watch. It was predictable. Um, like when I interviewed David Martindale uh, last week, he even said as well like he knew the way Rangers are going to play. You seen Rangers hit seventy three crosses into the box against Levy. Like it was like even Davy said after that game, it felt like a defeat. <laughs> where we and Levy drew Ibrox one each like you said it felt like a defeat you know but yeah like that's one thing I'm looking forward to about Michael, with Michael Beale though the football will be dramatically better and hopefully we can add some wins <laughs> with good performances uh, with that too but that's that's that, that's the main thing anyway but how do you see the season going Chris anyway for his on like with Michael Beale coming in, like, do you see Celtic going on and win this comfortably? Um, not comfortably, no. I can't rule anything out. As I say, there's been like larger margins of lead at the top of this point of the season being turned around before in the past, so it won't be smooth sailing. I, I do expect the gap to be closed somewhat, and um, obviously Celtic have only dropped that one one game all season, so results are going to even themselves out as the course of the season plays out, but um. Barring a big turnaround and big transfer window in the new year, I would probably forget about the league for Rangers this season, and the focus should be on what like, try to get a cup or two. And uh, I, I want to just ask you about Celtic. Um, I see Jovanovic and uh, Jackie Marquez uh, aren't exactly all that happy with their contract situation right now, and there, there are strong rumours that they could be off in January. What do you make of that? Do you think they will? Um, disappointing news given how good they are and obviously Juranovic now is part of a World Cup quarter-final side with Croatia um, seen off his um, pal Maida that was quite a heart-tugging heart photograph to see him embracing Maida in tears at the end of Japan's penalty shootout defeat but um, yes yeah, like, they're two of our best players like Jackie Marcus especially you've got to put him as probably our best striker so if he he's not happy with with what he's been offered, like he's earned earned more than what he's getting just now, I would say. But um, yeah, it's just one of those ones where it's like if they're not happy, not going to accept terms, and the right offer comes in, then you've got to take it and then look at replacing them. Yeah, I think it'll be a massive blow for you if Jackie Marquez is supposed to go because obviously he is Celtic's best striker, and I think he's your top goal scorer as well. Obviously, so. That will be that. I don't understand why Celtic would not like give him what he wants. I know their contracts run in, run up until um 2025 or 2026. Is that right? Yeah, so but you want to keep him happy, you need to keep your best players happy. Um, so that would be it would be baffling if Celtic 
get rid of get like like well basically get rid of him in January. Um, I would not complain if he's got rid of Jakimakis. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> but you and I spoke about this before. See, Kyogo, he's a very talented player, right? But I don't think he could be Celtic's main guy the way Jakimakis is. He's a different, completely different striker type of striker, and offers something different. But um, yeah, his injury history, as you know, um, that kind of puts you off him. Like, is he that durable? Can he be that number one striker? And based off his injury history, you've got to go. And no, you can't. So, if Jackie Marcus goes, then we've got a huge void to fill. Yeah. So, like, I think Celtic have brought in a couple of players already. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, yeah, we've got an, another um, Japanese boy bringing in that Alistair Johnson from Canada. So, in link with a South Korean striker now. So, if Jack Marcus is going to go, then we're probably eyeing up a replacement already. So, Angie's mantra that we never stop. You like seeing that continuing even during the World Cup. Yeah, I think that will. I think um, January will be quite busy, more so for us, I think. Um, it will be quite a busy window because obviously, as we've, as we were saying on the earlier on, like Rangers need to <laughs> like bring in some players in January. It's absolutely uh, essential. Um, but obviously, uh, when we, we just want to touch on this as well. Um, but <laughs> Stephen Gerrard was obviously like the Rangers' job. Um, but I feel as though the Rangers board didn't want to touch that because I think they even could read the room where it would like it would divide the support. Um, as you know, I wouldn't. Uh, I would have been happy with Gerard coming back, even though it is very controversial to hear. Um, but I feel as though he's probably burned, burned bridges with some some of the Rangers support after just the way he left. Um, but I found this quite interesting. Um, see, Stephen Gerrard's like me QPR. He's no, like me QPR. Uh, so he's like me QPR, right? Imagine that. Michael Beal's way to Rangers, then Steven Jarrett goes to QPR. Like, can you see that happening? It'd be quite the reversal of fortunes. He's succeeding his old assistant. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't see him doing that. I think, for Gerald's sake, he should just take a, take some time out of football, focus on ju- just doing punditry, because he look, Gerald's been going non-stop as a manager for the last four years. And obviously the Villa job was... Let's put it bluntly, it was a disaster for him. It did not work out whatsoever. Um, so I think you should take a wee break out. Um, I think you'll always be welcome back at Ibrox. I'm very grateful for what Gerard done for Rangers. Um, but yeah, I can understand why the board didn't want to go down that route of bringing him back. But I wonder what Gerard's thinking, you know, thinking though, that um, Michael Beale, uh, his old first team coach. Um, he's took the Rangers job on. I wonder what you're thinking about that. He's bound to be happy for him, I dare say. But um, yeah, it's one of those ones, isn't it? Ah, yeah, it is, man. But before we we wrap up, um, just have we chat about the World Cup. Uh, you been enjoying it so far, Chris? Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised with it. Um, what's a big big shocks in that? Um, probably the most unpredictable group stage I can ever remember at a World Cup, and then. Um, I did predict at least one upset in the knockout stage, and we got that yesterday with um, Morocco putting Spain out. Yeah, it, it, like I think uh, it's even Spain beat uh, Costa Rica. I think it was like seven one or something. Yeah, when Stephen Spain beat them like by that amount, I think everyone was thinking right, Spain are going to go far here. They're going to score plenty of goals, 
And then right after that, just downward spiral. Where that Morocco game, like, they had nothing up front at all. And then their penalties were absolutely pitiful. Like, didn't even score one penalty in that penalty shootout. I know, it was abysmal in case of history repeating themselves. Um, well, in fact, France are the team that brought the winner's curse because um, the three winners before that, Italy, Spain, Germany, they haven't won a knockout game since they last won the World Cup. In fact, Italy haven't obviously made the last two World Cups and then this is the second knockout tournament in a row that Spain have been knocked out in penalties. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that. So that's, uh, I think it's three, I three major tournaments in a row that went out in a penalty shootout. Yeah, because they crashed out of the Euros to Italy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so obviously World Cup to Russia, Euros to Italy, and then Morocco now. It's like, just safe to say they're not very good at penalties, man. Um, But the biggest shock for me was Saudi Arabia beating Argentina. I was gobsmacked at that because I remember... And then I, I got I got up to watch it and then Messi scored down. I was like, right, I might just go back to bed. Then something in me was like, no, I'm gonna stay up because Saudi Arabia were actually playing good. Uh, and then Saudi Arabia went and shocked the world by beating them 2-1. And it was I've never seen anything like it. I I think that's gotta be up. That, that, you know what I'd actually say? That is the biggest upset in World Cup history for me personally. I was gobsmacked. <clears throat> it's got to be up there definitely because um, you've got Messi heralded by many as the best player in the world and then it just ends up like this is meant to be like his last pursuit of the World Cup and it started off like that so you've got to put it up there Yeah. so who do you see winning it? Um, I'm probably going to go Brazil now yeah I think I, I said Brazil at the start I feel as though it's Brazil's to lose like they are just absolutely flying right now. Their football is a joy to watch. They're playing with such flair and confidence. And yeah, they'll win it. They'll win it. Um, but like, I'm like, I would love to see, right? Also, I would love to see Portugal do it because obviously, you know how much I love Ronaldo. It's going to be his last World Cup. I'd love to see him do it. Um, I know, as you know, I always like to support England. I am supporting England at this World Cup. But if it came to Portugal and England in the semi, um, I'll I'll be rooting for Portugal, but if England win, I'll be I'll be happy with that too. Like um, and I'll be supporting England in the final. But if England were to somehow win the World Cup, Chris, um, what do you think? <laughs> the sports channels and the the news channels and social media will be like <laughs> for for God knows for the next year if that was the case. <laughs> I will. The next 56 years, that was when they won it before. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> because remember in the Euros, um, I can imagine you were probably like, when it went to penalties, were you thinking, when Jordan Pickford was making these saves, you were thinking, they can actually do here, do this here? <laughs> no, no, I. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I feel as though England have got, I feel as though England actually could beat France. I got France on Saturday. Um, but if they beat France, they'll go to the final. Um, but if, if, it, if it's Portugal, and if it's Portugal, if you say Portugal get past Morocco, and it's Portugal versus um, England in the semi, my money would be on England to win that. But if it's Portugal versus France, I think Portugal will win that. Um, but yeah, like that's I know with France, all you need to do is. Come up with a come up with a game plan to keep Mbappe quiet. If you do that, 
you'll be you'll be fine, I think. Um but yeah, like Argentina, what about how do you see them getting on against Holland this Friday? Um I think they'll see Holland off, but um if they come up against Brazil in the semis, I don't see them getting past Brazil. Yeah. Uh, but I, I feel as though it's a real end of an era that this is it. Ronaldo's last World Cup, Lionel Messi's last World Cup. It's like two generational talents I don't think we'll ever see again. I know a lot of people are talking about Mbappe and Haaland. They're wonderful talents, but Ronaldo and Messi are just players that I don't think we'll ever see grace this like grace football game with just how good they they are. Um, but like, like obviously Messi, this would be Messi's last World Cup. Ronaldo said this would probably be his last one because the next one is in 2026, he'll be 41. So I think it'll be unlikely that we'll see Ronaldo at that World Cup. But one last thing before we finish off, um, this man cannot stay out the news for some reason. Um, Lee Griffiths was obviously arrested for um, alleged sports gambling. Um, he was arrested alongside Paul McGowan last week. That they've not been charged with anything. I need to make that clear. They've not they've not been charged with a single thing. They were they were arrested. They were brought in for questioning. Um, and we'll see how that plays out. I don't want to speak too much on that. But what I do want to touch on is uh, Lee Griffiths has been linked with Greenock Morton. Um, this case, the news of that came out. Uh, I, I think it was two days before he got Lee Griffiths got arrested, but. How do you see the this working out with Lee Griffiths at Morton? Lee Griffiths at Morton, do you see that deal transpiring? Um probably probably not now with the arrest for the alleged defences coming out, but um if it did go through, then obviously Morton Drew Celtic and Scottish Cup he would have been going back to Celtic Park. It would have been very very interesting to see how that one played out, how it would be received by the Parkhead crowd. I don't think he would get a good reaction at all because the last time we seen him play at Celtic Park was a friendly um, against West Ham and he got a very bad reaction where my pal was at the game. He said he's seen Celtic fans arguing with each other. He said he's said he seen Celtic fans like leaving the ground and I, I think we all know why Celtic fans were reacting like that to Lee Griffiths. Um, but he'd done an interview with the BBC, I, th- I think it was a few weeks ago, he said that he'll probably retire at the if he can't get a club, and for him to retire with all the talent that he had, like five years ago, um, at the age of thirty two, he's he'll he'll go down as a one of those players that young players will be told about to being like right. You've got if you've got all this talent in the world, don't end up like Lee Griffiths. So yeah, I feel as though that's his legacy now. He's like I like he's got the legacy of being that guy where it's like here you don't want to end up like him. He had all the talent and look what happened to him. Yeah, cautionary tale if there ever was one. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you want to listen to more episodes of Scott Score, they're available on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Until next time, guys, take care and we'll see you soon.